0: This is ReachMD, and you're listening to Conversations on Colorectal Cancer, sponsored by Lilly. When it comes to determining which treatment avenue is best for patients with metastatic colorectal cancer, biomarker testing plays a critical role in that it provides prognostic and predictive information that can aid in the creation of individualized treatment plans. But are we as clinicians taking full advantage of biomarker testing? That's the question we'll be exploring today during our discussion. Welcome to Conversations on Colorectal Cancer and REACH MD. I'm Dr. John Russell, and joining me is Dr. Axel Grothy, Director of Gastrointestinal Cancer Research at the West Cancer Center and Research Institute in Memphis, Tennessee. Dr. Grothy, it's great to have you with us.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: To start, Dr. Grothy, what's the current state of biomarker testing for colorectal cancer? Is it being adopted widely in practice at this point?
1: So when we talk about biomarker testing for colorectal canins, actually biomarker testing comes in different tiers. There are certain tests which I think are being done routinely in virtually for all patients. And there are some tests, you know, which, are, which require different techniques, different tissue material, et cetera, which are, let's say, not being done in all patients. And just to highlight, for instance, I've seen over the last years. That mismatch repair deficiency testing by immunochemistry to, to the to determine the microcellular instability status of patients is routinely done as a reflex, you know, just like pathologists in clinical practice. every patient is diagnosed with a colorectal cancer will normally have the tissue tested for. Mismatch repair deficiency protein expression level to determine the mismatch repair deficiency status and the status. We get these results really virtually at the same time when we have the pathology report. Then the second level of testing that should be done is testing for mutational status of KRAS, NRAS, and DRAS, which will inform us about the usefulness of each of EGIS-subton antibody therapy in the metastatic setting like the tuximab and panitumab. Now, this already identifies the difference between the MMR status uh, by chemistry and the RAS, RAS, and mutational status because RAS and RAS mutational status currently are only useful for treatment decisions in the metastatic setting, whereas the MSI testing is useful to identify patients with Lynch syndrome or families with Lynch syndrome, so it really applies to all patients, independent of metastasis or adjuvant sex. The third tier is kind of a comprehensive molecular testing with next gen sequencing, uh, which might identify fusions, for instance, like intrachromosomal fusions, red fusions, etc. So this is the most sophisticated level, identifies for a few patients. Who can benefit from certain treatment interventions, but for those patients who have these very rare alterations like the fusion, it could be a really game changer in terms of their treatment approach, uh, but this has not yet been widely adopted in clinical practice. So, different tiers of biomarkers that should be tested for different purposes, and there are disparities. I mean, we know that while chemistry for the of care proteins are done in all patients. Only about 50% of cancers have tested up front for RAS and B-RAS mutation according
0: to recent analysis. This is definitely a gap that we need to bridge. You mentioned disparities. Why do you think there's disparities in care?
1: So there are disparities in care just based on, you know, the
0: disparities inherent in our healthcare system and also disparities
1: in terms of knowledge that the you know, that the provider might have in terms of what is important so there is an educational need and there are clearly definitive disparities in terms of molecular testing because molecular testing doesn't come for free and if patients don't have insurance you know it might not be done. And in the area like Memphis where I work here we have a high uh, one of the highest racial disparities in disparities in healthcare I see this every day that all these fancy comprehensive molecular profile testing that we like to offer to patients are just not affordable to all patients even though we try our best really to make this available to all our patients.
0: So you you mentioned a lot of different tests. Which gene expression profiles are the most important for us to detect so as to make better treatment decisions?
1: So the important ones right now, the low-hanging fruit is mismatch repair deficiency testing by immunosuppressant on the original tissue, which can identify patients who will respond to immunotherapy like PD-1 antibodies with or without CTL-4 antibodies. So that's the a very important one. It also helps us identify patients with familial syndromes, Lynch syndrome, which can help us make decisions for patients. Just also from a surgical perspective. The second tier is the mutations in uh, in the RAS and BRAF uh, kinase family, which really are the proponents of the MAP kinase pathway. If we see mutations in KRAS and NRAS and BRAF, actually, uh, we normally assume. That uh, patients do not respond to each of the antibodies in a metastatic setting, like the and panitumumab. Now, BRAV600D as a mutation by itself has recently gained attention because, number one, it's a very poor prognostic marker for patients. It's the strongest poor prognostic marker that we have for colorectal cancer, but it's also now being used as a target for treatment intervention, which recently Saw data from the so-called beacon study, where a uh, biologic doublet and triplet that really targets this MAP kinase pathway, the pathway the molecular pathway that's activated by virus mutation, um, and has shown to be with this uh, biologically targeted therapy, is shown to be superior in terms of overall survival, progression free survival, and response rate to standard chemotherapy in the second and third line setting in metastatic colorectal cancer. So we not only use now the RAS mutation as a negative selector for medial cell antibody therapy, but the mutation as a positive selector for treatment approaches that can make a difference in the patients. Then there's the other level of like, the more rare alterations her two amplifications, which we know are very um, abundant in breast cancer and a good target for therapeutic interventions. The data and for cancer are emerging, and I do believe that in a couple of years, we'll see her two target agents um, making into clinical practice and routine clinical practice in patients. For so patients right now, it's mainly rare for clinical trials. And then the rare patients with fusions that we can target, like Intrax regions with lavatrectomate and intractomate
0: recently proved um, But these patients are, as I said, rare and only make up less than 0.5% of the overall population. So, doctor, are the latest guidelines up to date with respect to the best practices in biomarker testing for metastatic colorectal cancer?
1: So, the NCCN guidelines, which are widely adopted in the U.S., are, in fact, up to date in terms of what biomarkers should be tested. You know, they get updated quite frequently. And they have recently, just this week, really recommended uh, independent of cancer type to look for these aforementioned fusions, you know, intract fusions, red fusions, et cetera, which could uh, be used as a target for treatment intervention in not just colorectal cancer but other tumors. So guidelines are up to date. So if people and if, uh, providers really follow these guidelines and read them thoroughly, including these, uh, foot, uh, the, the footnote, uh, we would probably have less disparity uh, and better quality of care.
0: So Dr. Grothy, now that we've taken stock of where biomarker testing currently is, let's turn to some practical considerations on how to increase biomarker testing practices among clinicians. First off, which specialists should have biomarker testing on the radars? Should it only be oncologists or GI doctors or primary care practitioners like myself? So
1: I believe that molecular testing and biomarker testing for corrective cancer at least the knowledge of the existence should be more prevalent and more in, embedded and beyond just the medical oncology field. Um, so I can I would still believe that if a family practitioner, family medicine doctor might not fully grasp the importance of these biomarkers. he will never he or she will never act on them and have treatment decisions made based on them. But uh, what I can at least see, the oncology team that we build around the patient, consisting of surgeons, consisting of nurse practitioners, palliative care, radiation oncologists, medical oncologists, et cetera, they should definitely understand uh, the how, how important biomarker testing is. And I do believe that for gastroenterologists, for instance, who provide us with the initial samples when they do the endoscopies and biopsies make biopsies, that those definitely need to understand the importance, for instance, of mismatch care deficiency testing. So it's it, I wouldn't expect everyone uh, who's is, everyone in the medical profession treats uh, patients or takes care of patients, GI malignancies, needs to uh, go to the depths of these molecular testing, but at least an understanding of their existence. And potential value might make sense.
0: What barriers do we need to work through in order to put biomarker testing more firmly on the map for colorectal cancer care? First of all, there is an educational need. We need to educate people
1: about the importance for prognosis and treatment decisions for patients. Secondly, we need to work through some... Of the logistics of, you know, material handling. A lot of the tests that we're talking about right now are tissue based, and we have, you know, tissue available from different sources, different in different areas. A patient might go for a colonoscopy with biopsy at a certain place. So the initial tissue is in, in, in the hands of a gastroenterologist slash pathologist at the site. Then we might identify liver metastases, so an interventional radiologist takes the biopsy. So tissue acquisition and logistics of tissue handling, sending it out to the right place, is we've mainly talked about tissue-based testing right now is critical. And all these logistics, you know, will can hamper the process of testing and the speediness of testing. Then, of course, you know, we I would like to see comprehensive work profiling be covered by insurance companies and Medicare, you know, because this is one of the uh, areas of disparity that we in, 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 talked about before, that some patients just cannot afford these tests, and, I, and then we try to strip down the testing, it, it, it's a hassle, so we need to have a way to find
0: comprehensive molecular profile
1: being covered
0: by insurance companies. So how do you see the treatment landscape changing as biomarker testing assumes a more universal diagnostic role here?
1: So the treatment landscape right now, uh, for most purposes, is a very empiric approach in the first-line and second-line setting, corrective cancer, uh, where standard regimens like falfox and Fulfuris, oxalplatin-based regimens, or based regimens, are being used sequentially with the addition of Dervacizumab, for instance. And the use of Falfalz plus Dervacizumab is very common in the United States. It makes up about 80% of all first-line therapies. And this is not what I'd like to see because, you know, in, uh, comprehensive molecular profiling, different goals of care for individual patients, different needs that patients have, should make us more granular in our treatment decisions for patients with metastatic colorectal like cancer in first line. False services map should not be a one size fits all. Comprehensive molecular profiling upfront can identify patients who are suitable and really require different
0: therapeutic interventions beyond just our standards. One side sits all Paul Looking ahead over the next few years, Dr. Grothy, what's next on the horizon for colorectal cancer diagnosis? Well,
1: so the next few years, we'll likely see a, kind of, a, a dichotomy in our molecular approach. We still will have tissue-based molecular profiling, but more and more we will see liquid biopsy you know, circulating tumor DNA assessments. You know, come into clinical practice, and I personally use it right now too in patients who might not have an area that can easily be biopsy in terms of metastatic disease, and to identify the mutational status of patients to help us with treatment decisions. I also believe that ctDNA circulating tumor DNA gives more the integral, you know, of all the molecular alterations in a cancer, which over time becomes more and more heterogeneous because we we're changing tumors over time, pushing. Subclones in certain mutational directions. So getting an understanding about the mutational profile of a cancer, in particular in data line setting, really requires, would, would require actually biopsies of various different metastasis locations for uh, circulating tumor DNA assessment. And this is really where the technology is rapidly evol- evolving. We also look at ctDNA as a marker of minimal residual disease. Patients who have their surgery for their primary tumor they might get profiled and we can follow the mutations that are inherently present in the primary tumor by developing a very sensitive test for these markers for these specific individual mutations. And then follow these patients with a liquid biomarker over time. We've recently seen data that the emergence of a positive status of the CT DNA after rejection really predates the discovery of um, metastasis on scans by almost a year. So we might have time for therapeutic interventions, targeted interventions to help cure these patients before they become apparently metastatic on our current CT scans. So liquid biopsies will really have a great influence in our molecular profiling discussions for metastatic chlorectal and other tumors.
0: Dr. Grothi, it was a pleasure speaking with you today.
1: Thanks for having me again.
0: The preceding program was sponsored by Lilly. Content for this series is produced and controlled by ReachMD. This series is intended for healthcare professionals only. To revisit any part of this discussion and to access other episodes in this series, visit reachmd.com/mcrc thank you for listening
1: this is reachmd be part of the knowledge